Listen, there's a reason the ultra-wealthy have been investing in fine wine for centuries. Historically stable returns and a lack of volatility make it stand out compared to traditional assets, especially during a downturn. But now you can invest alongside with them with Vint. Vint is an SEC-qualified investment platform that offers shares of the most sought-after wines in the world. So join the thousands of investors diversifying with fine wine and spirits. Learn more at VINT.co. For full investment disclosure information and more, visit VINT.co. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This is Around the Coin, and today's guest is Monty Metzger, the CEO of LCX.com. Lichtenstein Crypto Assets Exchange is LCX, and we talked about their raise of $9 million, what they do, which is to provide a terminal for people to both look at prices and then make trades on cryptocurrency. Uh, they're focused out of, they're based out of Lichtenstein. So Monty traveled the world debating where to set up his company and landed on Liechtenstein. We talked about why he did that based on the regulatory climate blockchain act that exists. We talked about the different countries and the different policies that exist today. The U.S.'s policy on crypto, uh, other countries' policies on crypto in the the European Union and why they take those stances that they do. Monty is incredibly knowledgeable about the regulatory climate. We also talked a little bit about his project Timons, Timons, T-I-M-O-N-D-S.com, where they effectively lease out and have this building to maintain security over diamonds and allow people to trade those. A huge part of our conversation was spent talking about this incredible product that they have that allows people to launch cryptocurrency projects uh, in Liechtenstein, Liechtenstein, issue tokens, build their audiences, file compliantly. Uh, it's a really awesome tool that is available. We talked about how they raise money specifically. Uh, raising money in cryptocurrency is uh, challenging, to say the least, to know who to talk to, how to structure the company, whether to raise privately, to sell tokens, pre-sale, at discount, vesting, all those things. At the end of the conversation, though, is an amazing story that I hope to have Monty back on for, which is how he handled getting hacked for close to $9 million dollars. The business, the the, the currency, uh, sorry, the exchange was hacked and the criminal stole close to $9 million. The protocol that they took, the actions that they took to contact Coinbase in Europe, to contact uh, the US entity, to trace this individual down uh, is amazing. And I think this is the first time he's discussed this publicly. It was the first time in history that a... Uh, a, a criminal investigation or a criminal demand letter was made uh, to this person using an NFT. They identified the wallet and the judge in New York City sent the NFT with the public URL available. So amazing story. It was at the com- end of our conversation, but highly encourage you to, to tune into that. I was on the edge of my seat. It was wild. It must have been, this must be one of the craziest hack stories in crypto. So. 
Hope to enjoy this conversation. I certainly did. Here is Monty Metzger. All right, Monty, um, excited to be chatting with you. Uh, I love what you're working on. I, I love the uniqueness of your decision to move to Liechtenstein. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, you're running LCX, which has an awesome domain name, Twitter handle, everything else. Um, maybe we'll, we'll first talk about you, you personally. Previous to LCX, I understand you were a founder, then became an investor, then jumped back into crypto full-time. Uh, what what was the thing that you saw when you decided to leave the venture world and jump back into founder world that became really compelling? And, and was it something that you had been wanting to do for a while, or this was just an overwhelming opportunity in your mind? Mm-hmm. Well, you're right. Like I'm a founder by heart, so I started companies and businesses uh, since uh, I had been in school. Uh, in the 90s and then uh, since then I've been in the digital world and I started several companies and then switched over to become a business angel so we sold exited the company uh, started to invest in tech companies and then 2013 uh, I met my friend and co-investor Adam Draper in Silicon Valley and we talked about Bitcoin a lot he gave a speech at, at one of our dinners we had back then. And I thought that's so fascinating. It's really the technology which will change financial world and and monetary systems. But as uh, an investor, and especially um, during the time I'd been running a venture capital fund, which was registered, regulated, we could not invest. I could only do private investments. So I'd been following the space. And then also, you know, 2014, Bitcoin was at $1,000. And then it it fell down to $100 back. So I thought, let's let's wait a little bit, like 90% down. Um, let's see how it develops. And then 2015, 16, everything was being like more interesting. But when regulation kicked in and people starting about talking about new laws, how can investors be part of it? That's where my intention peaked because um, that was really the, the, the changing moment where I decided this opportunity now gets really interesting, where we are exiting this kind of wild west where it's ex- experimental niche into a mass market where the next growth wave of the crypto industry will start. So, and that's why where I decided I have to stop everything else. I have to go all in crypto. I moved over here to Switzerland, opened a company next door in, in Liechtenstein. And uh, we got got started. And now we have a fantastic community around LCX. What was it at the time specifically, if you recall, that prevented you from making investments in crypto companies? Was it specifically investing in the ICO or pre-sale or tokens? Or was it just that no one was doing it? So there was unclear regulation on it? Exactly. So the, the key topic which sidelined general like professional investors and us as a venture capital fund is the unknown. So are we allowed to hold a token? How will custody work? There's no bank uh, account for that. How we can, can, we, can we make sure that the limited partners uh, are fine in terms of the compliance governance structure of the fund? So the the only thing I could do is to buy some Bitcoin or Ethereum for myself and following the space I had been talking about openly all the time. 
And for me, the, the key point was, um, which I repeatedly said, blockchain is to the money what email is to the letter. So it's a fundamental technology there out there, which will shift a lot of things. And of course, email also at the beginning, people said, well, I can still send a letter. Um, but yeah. uh, I now hear the same arguments. So we were sidelined. And um, so key topics were custody, uh, laws, is it legal, how to sell it again, um, how to provide security for limited partners in the fund, and then like all the unknown questions. The only opportunity was investing on the equity side. Oh, sorry. It seems like today either something changed legally or just investors have gotten more sure-footed on the mechanics of the investments. Generally speaking, I see a lot of money going into, you know, U.S. entities that are investing in crypto companies. Andreessen Horowitz, a big one, you know, many other smaller VC funds specifically targeting crypto companies. They are generally buying pre-sale tokens or discounted tokens that are on some vesting schedule. Maybe they're owning a part of the company that is developing the technology, and then there's a transition to own the tokens. From my conversations with founders, it varies significantly. And I think people are still kind of figuring out what the best mechanics are to invest. But I don't sense a big resistance to deploying capital, at least in the US, based on regulations. M maybe I'm not privy to what the actual legal challenges are. Ha do you feel that something changed or is it just generally, globally, people are more, governments are more open-minded to making these kinds of investments? Yeah, it's, I think, a fascinating moment in time. It's a, it's a tipping point for the industry because there's now a lot of interest in, in this like new digital asset class and a new interest, which we've never seen before with these like big funds with billion of dollars investing in tokens purely. But also this could not have been done like two years ago because the infrastructure was not there. Now they, there are governance structures, they have multi-signature wallets, there's custody providers, they can make sure that it's on like large custody service providers and, and make sure that their, their, their investor money is kept safe. There's always the risk of like investing in startups. This, this will never go away, but the yeah. these technical things, these are there. And then the other element is really the legal side because you don't want to invest in something where the company will get sued in the future because they've done the token sale the wrong way. We now see this with XRP being long lawsuit with the SEC, Binance now with like BNB token, build and build and build, what they name it now, uh, investigation started. So as an entrepreneur, you want to focus on your technology, on the company and not worry about how, like if the token would be classified as security in the future or if you've done the token set the right way. And that's actually exactly what LCX is now is a core product which we are offering that um, we provide a token sale manager which combines the legal side. We do everything for the founders, all legal documents, We do, and then the technical side also, the platform. And I can explain all of these about the legal side because it's really very, very unique. Uh, we're licensed as token issuer, so we can do token issuance on behalf of other projects. 
Mm. And LCX specifically raised roughly nine million in 2019 through an ICO. Was what? What was? I'm curious when you went into that process. Given things change frequently in crypto, but it wasn't that long ago, three years ago. How did you approach the research phase of understanding how you wanted to raise that money? Was it, and and how did you actually end up doing it behind the scenes? Was it a partial pre-sale vesting token sale with private investors, or how, how did how did you go about it? And how how did you think about the key decisions in that process? That's right. So. I'm coming from from the financial world, uh, having run the venture capital fund, which had been regulated. So I knew we need to get things right. Overall, the vision of LCX is to bridge the old traditional financial world with this new blockchain innovation. So basically playing with the rules while innovating. So we we were reached out to regulators, to governments, uh, talking about with central banks on what we can do to make the industry um like behave in a way to make it make it uh, a fair market which is not ignoring or uh, avoiding any a regulation but rather working with regulators and say we we want investor protection we want um like the basic rules but don't make it too complicated mm-hmm. and um so before starting LCX I've been invited to like the Middle East to Oman spoke with foreign ministers and the central bank CEO and, and um, also Singapore, uh, Malta. Why were you going to, you're going to all these places to, for what purpose? To evaluate kind of the legal structure of these places. And then I came across Liechtenstein and the small countries, the sixth smallest country in the world with a very high financial reputation, has a AAA rating and standard of the poorest. That's the highest rating a country can get. So high reputation, very strict due diligence laws. And they started developing, I think in, in mid-2017, a working group on a new blockchain law. And when I heard about this, it was immediately clear that this, this might be a game changer because they're not looking at one piece of the puzzle like starting a license for exchanges, but rather having a holistic approach on the industry, uh, creating roles and um, responsibilities alongside the whole value chain of any token, from the token generation, smart contract development, to identity, um, like the whole KYC on investor onboarding, selling the token, issuing the token legally, um, until like trading, custody and so on. So like the, the full value chain had been covered. And that's the reason why we have the, the L in the name mm. and uh, started LCX, the Liechtenstein Crypto X Exchange in Liechtenstein. Yeah. Okay. So you're in the US at this point and you're saying we want to raise money for this project. It, it was, did you have a clear mind for what you were building at that point or is it still in the idea stage? Because most people wouldn't think to travel the world and research different legal structures with the presumption that you're going to be moving most people would say okay are we going to ra- you know raise a raise money through our llc at the dev shop yeah. and use that capital to pay people or are we just going to go and raise presale was it yeah wh- wh- why did you do that well i've started companies 
um, all over the world. I've I had teams in Japan, in in New York City, um, in in even in Silicon Valley, and in Nordics of Europe. And then we invested a lot of um, money in like different different startups startups in different jurisdictions. So for me, it was clear like going all in means also like we move wherever it's necessary. And I want to not have um, just like a letterbox on the ground, but rather be there completely. And, you know, US, I would say is like during the time it was completely uh, stupid to go there for, for um, a crypto company and a blockchain business. And still, I think it's very risky um, and not the best place. So there, there are many other options tax-wise, um, also legal uh, structures and everything. So that's why this like crypto valley um, established, you know, from Zug, um, Switzerland to Liechtenstein. And now there are even some uh, companies in the Italian part of Switzerland. So this had been established as the place for the big foundations. Ethereum, Tezos uh, are here, like pr- probably a hundred uh, meters from, from our office over there. And, um, yeah, so that's why I moved there and I looked for this jurisdiction. And now what we see is that the Mika regulation, whole Europe um, by the European um, Parliament, is copying things from Liechtenstein. So Liechtenstein really became a role model in terms of how this works. You know, it's a small country, everything is quicker to decide. The parliament is, is much smaller. So um, it's a good place for experimenting, I would yeah. say. And then the rest of, of the world can copy from the key learnings. And that's what's happening. Yeah. I grew up in a s- relatively small town in uh, Northeast in the US, uh, in Connecticut. And the town was 60,000 people. And I was curious what Liechtenstein is. And it's 39,000. Yeah. So it's <laughs> the country is incredibly small. And they have, a, I think, one of the highest GDPs. IKEA is based there. But they are, it's, a, it's a little bit deceptive to say that because if a corporation is based there and you have 39,000 people, uh, GDP looks really, really high. But regardless, you're 100% right that you can iterate fast. You can create new capital structures and laws that make a lot of sense without much red tape. Uh, I have seen a lot of companies based in the U.S. raising on token presales. Is it? Did you? I noticed you have a his German accent. Do you speak German? Was was right. there? I'm German. In, yeah. Okay, you're German. So it was easy for you to move to an area that speaks, I believe, German. Do they speak German, Italian? Exactly. It's a German-speaking yeah. region. Uh, Liechtenstein is part of the European Economic Area, so we have full access to whole Europe all like uh, European Union plus a couple mm-hmm. of more countries, plus uh, access to Switzerland. So it's like a hybrid model. So everything we do is e- easily being passported. Mm-hmm. And, and we have like full access to like th- these European markets. And as you like, if you have a German uh, passport, then you also have the right to live in Switzerland. Liechtenstein is a little tricky. Um, there's a whole like green card lottery process and there are only 18 green cards <laughs> giving out per year. Wow. So becoming a resident, uh, like I have the residence work permit, um, I'm allowed to stay, but uh, not for like staying, living there. That's uh, very strict. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. When you're that small, it makes sense. Uh, so how did you approach this? You said, we want to find the best place to live. You're comfortable moving to Europe, given that you're from there. So there's more of a elasticity in, in where you're going to live. Liechtenstein incorporate with this blockchain act. Did you, from that point, say we're going to go out and 
send emails, get intros, you're well connected in the venture community to VCs? Or did you more think about it as targeting retail investors through an ICO sale? Mm-hmm. In general, you asked me also, was the idea clear from the beginning? And the like the vision and the overall um, route and direction was totally clear. And I um, wrote everything down in, on a little napkin. So the, the napkin. I thought you were going to show me the actual napkin. That would be amazing. Yeah, actually, that's old. <laughs> yeah, it's actually in the, like put it in a safe place. But um, it's like when I look at it, it's still true and it still guides us from from that moment on this like vision on how to bridge these two worlds. I guess best of both worlds from old traditional um, systems and and the new blockchain innovation part. Uh, on the on the other hand, uh, the the path was total unclear. Like we didn't really know what to launch first, how to actually do it. The laws had not been passed. Um, it was a little delayed, so um, we like filed everything 2019, but it had been um, started on first of uh, January 2020. That's also when we got like all the approvals then, and we get got eight uh, blockchain registrations and approvals. That's more than any other uh, company in the country, which we're pretty proud of. And um, yeah, and then the kind of most critical part, I said that it's a tipping point for entrepreneurs. And what I mean by that is it's um, probably the most exciting time to start a company because you are not dependent on VCs. You're not dependent on external private equity money or people who are then coming on your board and trying to tell you how to run a company. It's fully consumer or like customer focused. You can build a company by finding clients first of a product which you will create and you're giving them a token and they can participate on your journey. And that's what we did. That's what we focused on, like community first, you would say customer centric, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the customer in mind, and um, we then started working with them and said, like, how should we prioritize doing the product development? Um, so the first product we launched was L6 Terminal, a trading desk, like a Bloomberg desk for crypto, where you could trade across multiple exchanges and manage your portfolio, which uh, we launched in 2019 with a good start. And we learn how traders think in our community. But most importantly, there, there are people who like had been there from start and they're still on board. They're still like holding the tokens. Mm-hmm. They're, they're using it as a utility and, and they're still the, the strongest uh, fans and supporters and ambassadors. And as an entrepreneur, this gives me, like me personally, a lot of energy. Like every morning I see positive manage- messages. I see feedback also like this is not working here. Like you need to improve and we're listening and um, it's like, yeah, consumer driven or client driven instead of a VC telling you to like grow faster and expand uh, whatever. And you, you have pressure from a monetary perspective here. We are just building a product which everybody loves. Yeah, those damn VCs. <laughs> uh, so when you raised, you raised. Yeah, so I have been on the <laughs> side as well, so I understand. Yeah, yeah. And you're calling and say, like, what are numbers? How can we exit this uh, investment again? Like all these things, and, and there's an investment period, and then also, you know, life cycle of a fund. So we sometimes had to close positions and 
sell them again, even if we didn't really want to do it. All these things. So, and um, yeah, that's changed. And I mean, that's that's like magic, isn't it? It's like it's uh, starting like a musician, but for uh, for tech. Uh, music song <laughs> like a totally. product yeah and the order of operations was you have this idea you move to the area you incorporate you write maybe a white paper or some structure you acquire licenses uh that you refer to you build a community i'm thinking telegram discord twitter you're actively pr- promoting the concept of something which you hadn't built yet you create the structure to raise money through an ico raise money through the ICO by advocating the benefits to the community, customer-centric, as you mentioned. You bring in the $9 million and then use that cash to hire people and build out the first version of the trading terminal. Is that roughly the order of operations? Yes, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like uh, all all the capital there from from beginning had been going in the product uh, until recently we had like zero marketing budget uh, basically, we've spent everything on on great product, great team, talent, also education, a big topic because we had like young, very smart um, colleagues and team members who um, just learned a lot. You know, they, I see them growing over now four years is is, is great, and we we are like a very loyal um, team structure there. And um, now, but now it's changing. Like we have ex- super exciting uh, products which are scalable, which can go big. Mm-hmm. And um, we are starting now several awareness campaigns. We've been um, strong at, at the World Economic Forum in Davos. We are now at Consensus. We um, like really give it a, a, a the, it's the year of the tiger. So it's the year of growth and mm-hmm. uh, power and probably targeting some, conquering some new markets. If you own crypto and leave it on the exchange where you bought it, like Coinbase, that is a mistake. We've heard the news lately. Exchanges closed, accounts frozen. We're learning the hard way that crypto on exchanges is not really in your control. So what can you do about it? Well, you can get a crypto wallet and control the crypto yourself. And that's why today's show is sponsored by ZenGo. These guys realize that Storing Bitcoin and storing crypto yourself can be difficult. It's risky to keep private keys. They realized this and said there's got to be a better way. So they created a crypto wallet that is fully recoverable. So say goodbye to lost Bitcoins. And the security of this wallet is incredible. It's a hacker's worst nightmare. They use a three-factor authentication, including 3D biometrics, so no one can access your wallet except for you. And Zengo realizes that at different levels of the crypto journey, you have different needs. So they offer 27 support and have real people that are available to contact directly within the app. They have a bunch of different coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tezos, and more, and they have all sorts of NFTs available as well. So now for the first time, you can keep your crypto safe with the same tools that the big guys have used for years. Download Zengo, that's Z-E-N-G-O, and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's $20 back for your first purchase of $200 or more. Use code ATC and check out Zengo. I dig it. I dig it. Uh, and when you... You publish this uh, raise that you're doing. Uh, I'm just trying to wrap my head around the 
the fundraising part specifically. So you said, hey, we're raising, did you set specifically the terms and then just publicly disclose that saying, this is what the discount, was there a specific discount or vesting schedule for people? And then it's 100% retail investors that you said were raising 9 million from the start, or that's just how much it kind of got to? It just how much it, it, it mm-hmm. got to. Uh, in a way, we included some some private um, strategic investors. You know, we have a suite of advisors um, who are now with us much longer than they actually committed to, um, who also invested personal money. So this includes um, Yatsui, for example, the founder of Animoca Brands, who now did um, uh, the other side with board a yard club and uh, invested in in crypto kitties so like a, a gaming pioneer i would say mm-hmm. then um jimmy wales the founder of wikipedia oh uh, nice or john tapscott the uh, founder of the blockchain research institute and like mastermind thinker um so and and a few other industry experts which we thought it's, it's great to have them on board um mainly you know as a coach and mentor mm-hmm. on what we should do and how to focus and how to grow uh, and then we also partnered with Liquid, uh, this Japanese uh, slash Singapore regulated, fully regulated exchange. Uh, I, f- I flew over to Tokyo and, and, um, like we did the whole promotion from, from Japan, um, in terms of, uh, this, uh, IEO. So the initial exchange offering. And we thought as the laws in Liechtenstein had been not passed yet, we already stick to like the full rules in Liechtenstein. We knew due diligence is important, this investor onboarding, identification of clients. So it had not been um, put on a, on a DAX mm. at start. So we had to identify everybody who's participating. Of course, there had been like special terms uh, on it. So if you like be there early, you get special uh, discounts. Mm. Uh, it's also like, I should say special risks you are taking. They all believed in, in, in us. And, um, uh, you know, and the prize was so little, um, uh, like too many zeros, uh, in, in front of the, the one. So, um, and since then, I don't know, thousands of percent it went up and, and I think, yeah. So yeah, yeah. at the moment we could still uh, like grow a lot, I would say. But looking back at that, we chose Liquid because they are, had been fully regulated operating since 2014. They know how to do these things. And also Japan is very strict. So it, it matched our vision mm. and uh, we work with them. And I think now they are joining the FTX family. Nice. So, and, and if you were to do that, say, thinking about this for founders who want to create their own products in the world, if they're launching yeah. today, uh, Liquid might make sense. If you're in Liechtenstein, you would stay in that country's jur- jurisdiction, take that route, given that the laws are now passed. Yeah. E- effectively, you'd be combining a public retail uh, campaign with a private advisory share and institutional investor campaign. And maybe you say, okay, we're going to, our goal is to raise 10 million, 20 million. We want to go and target high profile advisors. So we're going to take those meetings, come up with a negotiated price for the token, and then disclose that to the public because the public is going to get more excited when you have big name advisors, investors on board. And then through that momentum, close the round, close the, would you call it a round? Yeah, close that sale, I guess. Yeah. So that's exactly how it's done. So I think the key question is how to raise millions of dollars in a token sale 
in 2022 the legal way. Mm -hmm. Because as a founder, you want to focus on your product, on your clients, on like you have plenty of other things. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to be in the situation that a couple of years from now, the SEC notice, like you, you've like sold to US citizens and is not registered and so on. So a solution L6 is providing is the token sale manager where we go through this process with um, startups and we take them on the hand, basically helping them um, doing the whole process from the token generation. So that we do the smart contract development on Ethereum, uh, we've now done Cardano token. We're looking at Zilliqa-based tokens because it's, it's a key partner of us. Um, so then the, the token is there. Um, then we look at the, the white paper and the token economics. Is that like fair? We believe it's it makes sense to fully be fully transparent. So that trans uh, strategic investors, seed investors, you you publish these kind of terms. It should not be negotiated. I wouldn't recommend that. It should be really like this is the deal. Seed investor, strategic investor gets better terms, but they have to invest more than retail. And then there are like different public rounds as well. So we can handle a full private and a public sale. And what uh, is necessary there is we do uh, by like by the blockchain law, it's called the Trusted Technology Service Provider Act. So a trusted technology stands for blockchain, basically, or mm -hmm. distributed ledger technology. And then service providers, like that's LCX. So we do this on behalf of projects. So um, some called us the like Goldman Sachs of crypto. Mm. So in the old traditional world, if you do an IPO, you go to Morgan Stanley, uh, Goldman Sachs, and they sell your stock on behalf of the company to all these investors pre-listing. And then on listing day, um, yeah, they do the book building and, and everything and get started with market making. It's, it's very similar now in crypto that like we do the token sale on behalf of projects. We create a basic information memorandum, like a little prospectus, a summary of these terms. Uh, then there's the uh, token sale sales terms, uh, terms of service. Uh, and, um, then we file this at the regulator with a notification of the token issuance. And on top of that, before we, we do that, there's a legal opinion uh, required from our side, which classifies the token. And that's also special about the law. I think that there's some discussion in the US going on at the moment, but in, in Liechtenstein, it's very clear that you can say, this is a utility, uh, this is a governance token, this is an ownership token. So um, we launched tokenized diamonds. So these are ownership tokens, for example, representing a real world asset. But still, it's not a security. It's not promising any returns, any profits or something like that. And there are like clear separation, like what is a security, a financial product where other things might be necessary, like a full prospectus and so on, can be also done in Liechtenstein. But the, like, at the moment, we focus on kind of the core market of like non-securities, uh, which could be listed on Coinbase and FTX and LCX very easily. Mm. And um, yeah, so that's the legal side. And then the sales side, also important because we have to file reports afterwards after the token sale and say like who invested, how much money, how many investors, these things need to be documented. And our responsibility is to do the investor onboarding it's a very simple process, like a minute or so signing up, 
um, opening your webcam, holding the passport there, doing a selfie, you, you're good to go. And then you have a verified account and you can invest and participate in token sale. Um, this year, now we've done three sales, uh, one for uh, a team from, from Digibyte uh, core management called Digimetaverse, 25 million. We did Envision Stock, which is like a Getty Images on the blockchain um, project with seven and a half million and then uh, five million for NFT Maker, which is a Cardano-based um, simple tool to create NFTs. Fascinating, great uh, product also. And they raised five million in token sale. Uh, and like, they don't have to worry. It's mm. uh, like we are the legal protection for them. We are also legally liable, responsible to do that. And uh, that's uh, the, I think, fastest growing product at the moment. Once the token are there, um, we can list them at our exchange. I think there we are like a mid to smaller exchange compared to the big ones, but we have these unique tokens now listed first. So if you want to buy some NMaker token only available at LCX at the moment, same with uh, DGMV, the other one. So this gives us some kind of um, USP on that side as well and some instant liquidity or like trading for for the investors Hmm. guaranteed as well. So that's in a nutshell, this kind of whole token sale process. We're now running a campaign around this at consensus. And um, so all details are at lcx.com slash Austin. Did you find uh, all the summaries and everything we do? Wow. Wow. Congrats. That sounds like a really uh, substantial product that you built. I imagine this took a long time, took a lot of work because it is seemingly very valuable. When companies come to you saying they want to go through this process, given that you're kind of the, by analogy, Goldman Sachs, helping them create liquidity, make this transaction, is the, is the fee structure similar where it's a percentage of what they raise or is it a kind of qu- somehow quoted rate or something like that? So in general, like we spend millions of dollars and more than two years to come to that stage to offer offer this. Now we can offer it for companies very quickly. So from first talk to like launch, it could be like four weeks, uh, typically because we require a legal opinion, mm-hmm. we require a smart contract audit by an external auditor and so on. So these things take a little time, but we're very quick, I think. And we target raises five million up, so we could do five million to mm-hmm. hundred million, whatever. Uh, I think a reasonable spot at the moment is around ten million, which is in current market situation like easy to raise. Um, and then, um, yeah, we are we are basically in the position to help them out and and do the whole token sale uh, on behalf of these projects. Got it. And the way that you make money on this is you'll take a percent. Ah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so yeah, fee structure, very easy, um, no upfront cost, and there's a percentage we get on the success of the token sale. So we are basically, you know, I'm an uh, investor also um, by heart, so we do due diligence on the project and think mm-hmm. that's exciting. And then we invest in a way upfront because we do a lot of things without getting any fees. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we we win when they win. So um, yeah, if they don't sell out or something, then it's also a pity for us, basically. So we're in the same boat together. And then at the same time, we're investing our reputation. You know, it's a reputation against uh, our own users. So everybody who is verified can immediately, instantly invest. 
which means that our L6 community, basically they, they invested in everything mm. we launch now. It's a responsibility. So yeah. we, we want to get like the best founding teams, the most exciting products on the platform, like the next Ethereum, the next whatever, and the next big thing. And that's our responsibility in, in terms of choosing. And we decline most, most of the applications at the moment. I really have to like cherry pick uh, mm-hmm. on that regard. And, and, you know, if they fail, even if, if it's like n- n- not like fraud or something, like that, but just if it's uh, failing, you know, a lot of startups might fail many reasons to that. It still would like fall back to us. So that's yeah. why we're advising, we're helping them on the long term. And so far, like, the development had been uh, good, but of course we, we just got started with that. Yeah. And I imagine it's a fairly, I mean, is it a transparent pricing or is it like, I know Goldman's around two to 3% for companies who IPO. Is it, you're yeah. still figuring that out much different for different companies or is it more transparent, like two, 3%? It, it's, yeah, it's, um, it's a little higher. Um, it's negotiable. It depends mm-hmm. on the size of the raise. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's around five to 10%, mm-hmm. uh, depending on how much money they raise. Yeah. Yeah. And do companies have to, I'm curious to ask you this. So if you're based in the U S or if you're based in Australia or regardless of where the, the, the original founders of the team live, can you incorporate a company in any country or is there specific rules within countries to say you can operate a company here by just having a PO box or have some local mm-hmm. presence. Oftentimes crypto companies will be located in the Cayman Islands or Malta or somewhere. Yeah. And they're doing that, you know, for various tax and legal reasons. You, you've traveled the world and think a lot about this. What are the um, sort of implications of, of doing that? So, LTX, while being in this small country, is a super international company from day one. We have um, users from 130 countries on the platform. Um, for these token sales in general, for us, it doesn't matter where their founding team is or where their company is. So mm-hmm. it could be even a US, Delaware company, uh, Cayman Island, Seychelles, whatever. Um, because the issuance would be in accordance, would be by us. So we would be the issuer in Liechtenstein according to the Liechtenstein laws. Mm. So there's no need to incorporate a company in Liechtenstein. One of our, um, startups, which we, where we did the token sale, they decided to do it in Liechtenstein, um, because they're not far away, uh, from Netherlands and they, like, there are many benefits of doing that being here in Crypto Valley. Um, but it's not a must. It can be anywhere. And then in terms of the other side, like the investors, there are rules to it. So we have to um, be very strict on um, prohibited countries from Iran to North Korea, like the, the standard kind of list. And there are sometimes um, sanctioned people or um, now other sanctions on, on, on Eastern Europe, Russia or whatever. Like there's some rules like which are basic and uh, which we have to, to follow. And then uh, in particular, China and US are still complicated. So at um, all these sales we did, we excluded US citizens. Uh, they're able then to like participate in trading on the platform, but for the sales uh, excluded. And uh, as of now, it's still, it's, it's, it's still unclear. So like these US, um, we had an Australian team, they did uh, the sale on our platform. But um, in US, um, 
it's still like a risk. But what we've done now for, for a project is there are ways um, to include U.S. citizens in investments, um, but then certain special rules apply. So it could be Reg D exemption, uh, or it could be another exemption for professional investors. But, you know, as there are no crypto laws in the U.S. at the moment, it's always finding uh, a legal way which, like, is okay. So either it's an accredited investor invest proving that he's accredited, um, we've done it with one project um, for a movie project um, fundraising, and and they're like they prove it, and then they invest yeah. Um, yeah. starting at a hundred thousand. But you know, that's not how we like to operate in the future. Yeah. And I think Frustrating. US will now catch up. It yeah. will it will change, but it might take two three more years. Yeah, that's yeah, frustrating. As somebody who lives in the US, you don't want to be at a disadvantage. Certainly, structurally, yeah. legally. It's like this whole accredited investor thing, in my opinion, is so dumb because it doesn't yeah. protect people to stop them from making a hundred dollar bet, a thousand dollar bet, you know, take something, you understand the project. It's kind of demeaning to people to yeah. say, oh, you're maybe young and you haven't accumulated money or, or you don't have enough savings. And so you can't be sophisticated. It's, it's, I think we're moving. The pendulum seems to be swinging away from that, uh, certainly with mm -hmm. the, the crowdfunding rules and allowing people to invest in, in more um, crowdfunding style campaigns, but you know, still legacy garbage to <laughs> clean, clean up. That's right. And what we've now seen a lot in the US is they do airdrops, free airdrops, or like Uniswap. Mm -hmm. The community just like get something. Yeah. Now we had Ape token, yeah. So everybody participated. Still under the Liechtenstein uh, blockchain regulation, any issuance would be like giving out tokens is the, the first time issuance. It doesn't matter if it's sold or, or as a present, it's still an issuance event. So for me, I think these things are highly problematic and, and founders think, oh, that's a solution. Let's just like give it out for free. And then we build the market. I, I'm not sure if this is like legally um, yeah. valid for like, we'll find out in the next couple of years. Yeah. I think that there might be investigations on this as well. Um, so another way is really like we do the issuance. We could do the, even if it's a free airdrop on behalf of the project. Um, and it's, yeah. So, so these are things we are looking at as well. Mm. Yeah, it's super interesting because it's like as a founder, you want to minimize risk of doing something, but you also want to do something innovative. And then you're interpreting these laws, which are made for a different time period and different technology set. Granted, there are a lot of people, smart people working on this to improve these laws. And the US is a big and, and wealthy and complicated society. So I can understand why things take a little longer than like a 40,000 person country. Now, yeah. given all that, it does feel like this this idea that you can't um from a founder perspective one of the ways i think of as de-risking de your project is to do what many other people do so if you're taking a, a legal position that many other companies especially larger companies have taken even if it's vague it there's protection it's like protection in the in the school or in the herd <clears throat> and I think there's validity in that. You certainly don't want to be the outlier. It's a balance, right? It's, you want to be innovative and different and unique, but you want to not be crushed by the SEC for doing something structurally unique or in a legally right. innovative way. So 
Yeah, I've, I've thought about that recently, which is like the SEC probably won't, they won't go after everybody if everyone's doing it a certain way. They'll kind of adapt. But if like, you know, you mentioned BNB and uh, XRP are going through, like they, they took on a lot of risk. They're innovative. They're, you know, a, a huge project, a lot of money flowed through there. Uh, but, you know, there's ups and downs to that approach. Uh, I would ask you, so how do you think about the different product products internally? So you have the terminal, which you started with, the trading terminal. You built this whole suite of guided ICO fundraising tools. I'm sure you have people dedicated to screening and teams auditing these people and helping them create the campaigns to launch them. That's a whole, I think of that as a company in it itself. Then you also did this diamond thing, which you took the uh, non-commoditized diamond market, GIA certified diamonds, and you say, we want to allow those to be uh, traded on on chain. Uh, maybe there's other products you launched. Are, are you thinking of, how do you think about this? How do you think about the balance between staying focused on a product and being aggressive and launching new things? Uh, is are is there a, is there an underlying principle or philosophy of launching new products or distributing your attention? So uh, the philosophy is really b- around the s- centric focus on our clients, and we want to deliver them uh, like outstanding products and looking at mm-hmm. what they need. At the moment, um, the core of LTX is really LTX Exchange. Mm-hmm. It's a um, centralized spot exchange where we offer a variety of uh, of digital assets, like everything our community wants to trade, so all the basics, but now also these like next crypto gems, the the new rising stars, uh, which we're launching first and exclusively. That's a way where we can differentiate. And uh, of course, in the exchange market, everybody's fighting for liquidity. And um, it's, it's at the moment very monopolistic. But... Um, with, I would say, FTX, Binance, um, probably Coinbase there. But um, I'm a, a digital entrepreneur, so I remember when the first social media wave was there. There was Friendster, MySpace, and like all these social platforms, even Second Life and SciWorld, these metaverses or digital worlds. But nobody remembers that a- anymore. Like um, nobody knows Friendster now. It's all about TikTok, Twitter. And so on. So now, um, when we reflect on this learning, I would say LCX is really a next generation crypto exchange, regulated, transparent, compliant in many ways. So if we continue that path, we will automatically grow. And with our current growth strategy, we're in a good path. So the exchange is at the core. And then we do experiments and say, Mm. we actually, we have the knowledge and like a very smart technology team. We should do more things. One key part we, which we launched is a, is a smart and powerful DEX aggregator. It's um, DeFi terminal, L6 DeFi terminal, or we call it the Fire Salamander. So at DeFi.LCX.com, you'll find a Fire Salamander as a product, uh, which gives you um, like always the best price on all DEXs across um, Uniswap and all, all other um, DEXs out there. You can um, have like smart order routing. And um, there's a basic swap and a, and a pro swap. Um, this product also will advance. There's a second version in the, under development. And I think the whole DeFi and decentralized exchange um, market is, is very interesting. Also from legal point of view, we, we're having some talks about that. Um, and uh, so that's why we invest in this R&D product. On the other side, um, 
Another exciting part is tokenization. So tokenization of everything. A key element in the Liechtenstein law is something called the physical validator. You know, if you tokenize something, if you tokenize a bottle of wine or token, tokenize a bottle of water, this bottle um, needs to be kept safe. Um, you like if there's a token related to it, you need to make sure that the like the physical validator makes sure it's real. It's a real bottle. It's uh, like you don't drink the water, mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't destroy it, you don't um, put depth on it, you don't loan it to somebody, you don't sell it behind the doors. And so there needs to be like a notary function, which is fully liable on this thing. Right. And then uh, you can tokenize it. So that's by law in Liechtenstein, again, kind of a role model on, on how they make sure this is the case. And then you can put um, uh, it in as a token and the token could rep- represent anything. Uh, copyright, uh, ownership rights, the f- shares, fractional ownership rights, um, legal right, usage rights, and so on. So the container is seen, uh, the token is seen as a container under the, the Liechtenstein laws. So, and tokenization is big, uh, very big, because I believe you can, uh, I would say, other way, everything will be tokenized. Uh, it's just a matter of time. So, uh, even like wine bottles I've seen being tokenized now, Lamborghinis and so on. Some things doesn't make sense. But if you look at financial markets, assets um, or real estate or like other like special things like paintings, art, or even diamonds, gold or something, these are all assets which could be put on chain and you could create, uh, like overcome these, silo, this, these silos. So even if you want to buy a stock in Australia, your bank is not supporting it. It's complicated. It's not in Robinhood. What do you do? It's like it's a different system, different country. And on the blockchain, this could be harmonized, could be global markets could be created. Um, really like distributed ledger of, of real estate, fractional ownership investments, all these like exciting things. And then even like these loan products or new financial um, products, which are creating kind of a new world for blockchain banking. Yeah. So, and, um, I think to take something out of there. So the timeless project, that's something interesting to talk about. Time, well. What is it? Timeless? Timeless. Oh, timeless. So it's called tokenized diamonds. Yeah. So, um, uh, is the URL. So that's our project, which we first started with a tokenization project. And, uh, there we took, um, real world diamonds. So, um, like this one. Um, and we, uh, putting them in a vault, uh, in like a physical uh, vault in the Liechtenstein Alps. Uh, it's like f- uh, in one of these James Bond movies, uh, multi-signature processes, cameras everywhere, like the guy guiding you open yeah. next door and then it goes up and, and so on. So, um, and then, so it's safeguard, it's insured. So the diamonds are there. So this like physical sa- safekeeping uh, will do. And now we created one-on-one ownership rights as NFTs. So each NFT is one diamond and represents one diamond. There's a GIA number. There's a LCX certificate next to it, which proves the ownership rights. And we started the first drop. We sold a hundred diamonds. And on top of that, we created this whole platform with, with six different smart contracts for all these auctionings, um, future ownership 
movements and um, the relationship between the token and the and the diamond. So as as of now, with the first drop of hundred, we're already the the largest tokenized diamond marketplace in the world. But we're not stopping there. The next 100 um, diamonds are ready to launch uh, in coming next couple of weeks. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Diamonds. It seems like such a random thing to get into. What are you, do you think this is like a spinoff company? I mean, first of all, do you have, do you think of what you're running now as you have the exchange, you have this onboarding process for companies to, to tokenize and, and sale, and then you're also slanging diamonds on the side. Is that, (laughs) do you think of these three pieces as the core pieces and how does the diamond feast fit into the other two pieces well it it all belongs to the to the main vision of lcx and um we're enabling these token sales mm. and we're enabling tokenization and trading of these tokens with tokenization there have been a lot of projects approaching us but we wanted to, like in the first project we do we want to control every piece of the uh, of the process every um, element and and so we decided to uh, choose diamonds um, and do this as a separate brand, basically as diamonds.com. The key reason is really that diamonds are like small, um, valuable, easy to store. Um, they, yeah, they're like all different sizes. So we can start smaller ones. We started with uh, 0.3 karat at the beginning, which is roughly a value of uh, $700 or so. And uh, what we could also do, like one karat, 10 karat, we could do many things. And the diamond market itself, also interesting because it's um, fully intransparent. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's like nobody really knows what's the real price. Uh, these markets are all B2B, uh, hidden logins. Um, there's no transparent market like uh, you would expect it to be. So therefore, like there's an opportunity to disrupt the diamond market. And eventually it could become a separate company. For now, it's a showcase for us for tokenization. Uh, It's an exciting product also. And then we have an educational part of it as well. So, and we did that by gamification. Because I think uh, at start, like what we learned is it's it's interesting to hold a diamond in in your hand, to own it as an NFT. But um, nevertheless, it's a new asset class. Like, how many people can we can we attract? And we see that things like Dogecoin go nuts, or uh, Baby Dodge, or whatever. There's like all these um, meme coins. That's why we created um, our own kind of meme coin on top of it as a reward feature. So, if you're holding one NFT, one diamond NFT, you get one million Tia tokens over one million minutes which is roughly two years. So every uh, every minute you get one of these tokens. If you hold it, if you have diamond hands, you will be rewarded. Um, if But if you sell it or like transfer it on another wallet, there's a kind of penalty fee of 10%. And 5% is going back to all others who has diamond hands who are like holding it. 
2.5% are burned and 2.5% are sold into LCX token to um, strengthen our own ecosystem. So this is called a burn, a reflection, uh, and rebalancing. So the rebalancing is the distribution back to that. So this kind of gamified approach, uh, I think is necessary at the beginning because people don't know, like, is that real? Mm. Um, is like, how safe is this diamond? Is it like some want to rather buy a real diamond and, and put it in their pocket or whatever? Um, so it's, it's a, l- a lot of learning. And when Crypto Kitty started at the beginning, also it was a lot about yeah. the, um, 721 tokens. It was all borrowing for many years and then it started. So we're at this point that like tier token is out. There are some hodlers already who are excited about it. You, we, we see that the reflection works with this um, fascinating mechanism on, on the smart, in a smart contract. And so on, and it, it works, uh, and we can scale it now, and we do this uh, on several levels. I love it. I, might be might be a separate uh, thing um, soon. At the moment, yeah, it's, it's our baby project. And the thing you're kind of you're kind of unique in that you're the physical validator. So you own a building that has security guards, and you're, you're validating that these diamonds are actually there. And Exactly. Right. Well, we, we don't own it. Yeah, it's um, outsourced. Sure. So you, sure. m- you you might be aware that uh, the Liechtenstein family and the prince and everything owns has probably the largest art collection as a private collector in the world. Mm. Um, they own hundreds of pieces and, and other valuable things. So they they need to have some places there. And then also there are some some private investors, you know, with the highest GDP in the world. They They want to like make sure that they're whatever valuables they have are safe. So these, these safe houses, their uh, security houses are incredible. Um, and there are several of them in Liechtenstein, physically in Liechtenstein. That's so interesting. It's so interesting that that's, that's how our like global society developed to have these relatively political, neutral com- countries build kind yeah. of like, it would make sense that you would have the security. I mean, going back to the Swiss bank accounts, it's like the country yeah. who's neutral has a disadvantage in that they don't have an army, they're not investing in an army, but they have the advantage that they're not part, they're not, they're politically unbiased as they could possibly be. And so trusted yeah. by both sides. And this, this trust, it seems like the trust is what they're selling. And also they, I mean, they're almost geographically located in the middle of, of, all the action in the world, which is yeah, kind of interesting yeah. too. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful area, and with the with the army, there's this this one story where like Liechtenstein once had an army, 80, 80 militaries, people. Um, eighty people was their army. Eight, eighty, yeah. So like I don't know when, like hundreds of years yeah, yeah. ago, and then they went out in a war, um, and then like after months, they they came back. With 81 people because they made a friend on the way. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, super so, interesting. So yeah, and now I think it's not not relevant anymore. There like yeah, um, some some synergies. But um, what is what is relevant? Uh, I think for your audience to know, and it's just like the the hot story of from the released yesterday. Yeah. is about also NFTs and something which has never been done before, and it's it's a story which starts in January this year where we um, had a security incident. So one of our hot wallet was breached. Well, Luckily- We as in C- LCX? We at the LCX, okay. yeah. So at LCX, like we have a variety of, of wallet structures 
um, and like one one particular wallet, Ethereum based wallet, um, a hacker got got access, and roughly eight million dollars worth of crypto of customer funds had been stolen. So, um, like, first of all, we did like many investigations around it. We notified the regulator, the police, public prosecutors, and so on. Immediately, we we kind of uh, closed the, the, this um, uh, the problem. Basically, so there was no problem on our website or something, or on the on the platform itself. Like, there, there's some other reasons to it, but um, we basically had Im- immediate measures and and one of the measures was also we um held everybody harmless so all all the funds are like fully paid back by LCX so um no customer had any any problems uh and we've completely refunded it but what started from that moment is that uh, we d- it there started like an international collaboration with police and public prosecutors in the background we, um, the hacker itself, um, tried to hide the funds, um, running it through a crypto mixer called Tornado Cash. So it kind of, um, tries to hide your transactions, but with a specialized team of like forensic people and mathematics, mathematicians, we backtrace the funds even through the mixer. So there, there's some ways to, to actually do this now. And uh, so we could track the path of the funds and uh, we found especially two wallets where the funds are. So this, these wallets have been now published yesterday in a, in an update to the hack. And um, we had been watching these wallets and the hacker then sent 500 Ethereum at the time, roughly like $2 million worth uh, to Coinbase, to Coinbase Europe. And it seems you know, like Coinbase, a dumb move. Yeah, very verified, uh, verified account is user account. So we got details about the, the user there and the investigation started as well. And the funds could be frozen at Coinbase. And this, this was the, the first move. And we kind of kept quiet. Things are ongoing. And then as Ethereum fell, the hacker then swapped on a DAX into USDC. So this was roughly 25 days ago. So then I called Jeremy Allaire, a longtime friend, the founders, CEO of Circle, and said, like, what can we do? And USDC can be frozen, but it can't be frozen by Circle. It, it needs to go to the center consortium who runs the, the system. And um, so at that moment in time, uh, just to repeat, there was already a court order from Liechtenstein uh, freezing the funds at Coinbase. Uh, this went to Ireland, where Coinbase Europe is, is based. And um, they, I don't know, translated it or, or whatever they did and said, like, freeze the money. They did it. But for Sir Center uh, Consortium, we needed a U.S. Um, court order. Is and Circle based in the U.S.? Center Society. Consortium is an LSE um, based, I think, in um, between New York and uh, Boston. And I think registered in Delaware or something. And then there's Circle Financial services LLC who issues USDC. So it's two separate entities. Center Consortium runs the blockchain and is able to freeze funds if they need to. Like they would never like just like do it out of fun, <laughs> of course. They have uh, like rules to it, but there's a there's a freezing policy and there needs to be certain reasons and and also a judge and law, legal team needs to review it. 
So we started working with the, with the lawyers also from Center, uh, reviewing that. And within 48 hours, we uh, got a court order from U.S. court. Uh, and that was from Supreme Court of New York, from a very smart um, judge there who really understood the, the opportunity. And uh, she was like very smart and engaging around the topic and also, rather, I would say, brave, embracing uh, new things. And what we did then, uh, together with our uh, lawyer, Bluestone Law and Holland and Knight in New York City, is how to bring this, the, to serve the order um, to the uh, hacker, which we like don't know who it is really, but we know the wallet address. So what we did is we created a service NFT and delivered the Superna uh, as an NFT to the wallet. And the NFT has a URL in the name, which leads to the public, publicly made documents with the court order and all the evidence and everything. So it's the first time in history, legally, that this court order had been served uh, to the um, uh, potential uh, criminal or alleged criminal um, as an NFT. So it's the first time a service NFT had been used. And, uh, so now, like a, a lot of newspapers reach out to the, to the lawyers and to us. And I did a lot of interviews last 24 hours. Holy shit. About the story. <laughs> this is nuts. <laughs> and, and, and what is fascinating is that it was immediately noticed yeah. by like by our community, by others. Um, and like hundreds of clicks on the, on the URL already. Um, and, um, so w when you click on it, then you find the court order by the New York Supreme Court. you you find all the details. There's also our like police report, which we sent in January there. And that's the point also where we like by law, by you under Louis law, it needed to be published in public. And that's why we also changed our strategy from like hiding and watching the hacker to Let's go yeah. all public. Like we have to publish everything now, increase the pressure, and we've frozen sixty percent of the funds now, uh, who had been stolen, and um, also showcasing again our division of LCX uh, of like combining laws, regulation to the blockchain, and I would say uh, on the blockchain everything is much more transparent. If the funds would be stolen in our bank the money would be gone. It would be going through different banks. There's no tracing system. It would take ages to, to have like uh, any like tracing functionalities over several countries or banks. But on the blockchain, it's actually more compliant, more uh, uh, better ways to, to create something, um, yeah, which is legit, which is uh, there for the future of the, of the digital uh, of Web3 mm. and the uh, decent life. Well, it's, it's e there's pros and cons. It's easier to see where the money is and the the 16-digit address associated with that, the wallet, but it's harder to trace that back to an individual human. Where a bank, it's the other way around. It's harder to see where the money is, but once you find where the money is, it's way easier to find the human being associated with it. Uh, yeah. Wow, what a story. But it's changing. Yeah. Uh, it's It's... This is changing also. Like now uh, people are filing for the .eth domains, which is connected to a wallet. So yeah. your wallet becomes your identifier, your unique, ident your online identity. Mm -hmm. 
And this is this is happening already now. Like there, there are some blockchain analytics tools. Like we know all the wallets of our clients who like withdraw. There are the ways to identify even if they are not connected to an .eth uh, ENS domain. But in, in any way, what I see as a kind of development there is really the wallet becomes your unique identifier. Is the guy who did this, uh, uh, did, did they, was the hack like a technical, impressive hack? Or was this like see, he tricked somebody to do some, you know, hey, reset your password. And it was like a Ex- basic, dumb kind of exactly, yeah. ladder. Exactly. So basically, as as a crypto exchange, you are a target right. all the time. Right. We have phishing attacks, um, people trying to sneak into our Slack accounts. Yeah. Uh, my online identity is copied every second day. Just yesterday again, Instagram, people messaging friends um, of sure, mine and sure. they think it's me. It, it's happening all the time. And in, in this particular case, it, it's also a backtrace to our analysis to one of such incidents. Um, where one of our developers got tricked, mm. and 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 so that's why it was, yeah, one particular security incident, which is not related to our platform, but yeah. just like st- stupid mistake yeah. or something. Um, and and this could happen to like any yeah. financial institution in anybody, and and they're targeting all the time. And so that's why, like, we are proud because it's not our service or our security file. It's not a technical everything. issue. It's, it was just a no, no, no. And um, and that's and then what what had been happening now is, I would also say, like you said, it's stupid. It was not clever mm-hmm. how to like laundry the money. Yeah, go to Coinbase. To, I think if like you ask me, Coinbase, like Monty, if you were to say, "Hey, Mike, like, what's the most regulated?" Uh, uh, crypto company. Um, Coinbase is the top of mind. I'm thinking Coinbase, Gemini. These guys have just, they married the legal system. To, so to send money there is like, come on, bro. <laughs> but you guys paid that money. So you paid uh, months ago, you paid 9 million, 10, 8 million, 9 million, whatever the guy stole or girl, who knows. And that must have yeah, been a difficult yeah. pill so- to swallow. Uh, absolutely. So January, the, like the start of the year, was Jesus. was terrible uh, with that news. But in, in every bad uh, situation, there are some good things as well. Um, so when the hack happened, I think uh, early January, then like two weeks later, the the market crashed thirty, forty percent, everything down. So we like we had to buy back some assets mm-hmm. um, to provide it on the platform, but we got like forty percent discount on it. <laughs> Then we also had good partners. We are partnering with Sandbox since since a long time and Animoca Brands. So Sandbox basically gave us a good deal on 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 Sandbox tokens. So we uh, bought a Sandbox mm-hmm. um, token directly from them, and so on. So a lot of like help from yeah. the community everywhere. Yeah. Uh, also like tracing the funds and, and also just so, the fact know, that it's a small family. You've done. You've now issued the first public in the world, the first public court order via NFT, which is, I mean, if you think about the upside to this experience, you've really stress tested the system. Like this is how countries and legal systems coordinate with crypto companies to prosecute people and bring justice to people who are, who are, you know, criminals. How, I'm curious to ask you, so an NFT was sent, you knew the like uh, USDC address associated with this wallet. 
and the NFT was sent via some, how did they, per, how did the person get this NFT? It was sent via what? Yeah. So, I mean, I can send you anything. Um, I'm receiving or like we're receiving um, spam tokens all the time. It, there's no way on the blockchain that you um, block your wallet to avoid any tokens sent to you. Right. So it's basically, right. it's, it's, it's the address. It's open. Everybody can send you stuff. Um, so, and, and in this case, it's, um, so USDC based on Ethereum. Oh, I see. Blockchain. Um, there are two transactions happening. So the first one was the so-called, like, by court order from Supreme Court of New York to freeze the funds. Uh, technically, it's not frozen. It's what they call blacklisted. So it's a blacklisted transaction in the smart contract of USDC to this particular wallet. So that this wallet is blacklisted out of the system, which means the, the, the hacker uh, can't uh, transact. The, the funds are stuck there. That the, the USDC, while like everything else, like ETH, um, all other tokens can be transferred, you know, they, they can't be blocked. Uh, but USDC has this blacklisting function. So there's a transaction a hash now which says blacklist this wallet. That was number one. Number two is then 24 hours later, we served this NFT with uh, the court order and all the attachment with the link to the wallet. So basically what happened is there's a transaction with like from the wallet of our lawyers. Um, there's a smart contract behind with the NFT and the NFT had been sent over to this wallet. And it's now in the section of ESC 721 tokens. Uh, and the name of the token is the URL to the legal document. Wow. And um, so how does the hacker notice? Like right, how, right, right. You would say like, I never look at like what's being sent there but the like the moment the, the person wants to or like the group uh wants to transact and say like i want to exchange it i want to send the usdc somewhere else it's not working and then you start looking at like why it's not working and they will find this nft huh. for sure like they will yeah. look into the wallets like what's wrong what had been happening um, and so on. So they, they will find it. And, um, so it is like the, the judge in New York said it's, um, let's say like it had been served and sent officially. So right. it's, it's like giving you the letter right. with the, the, the court order personally or sending it with UPS. It has been served right. officially, legally, uh, in this innovative right. way. So there's no way. That, that the person or the group and there um, is not recognizing it. It's, it's just a matter of time. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure about these yeah. legal timeframes and everything, but you know, you will notice it at some Dude, point. Dude, this is super interesting. I've had a couple of these conversations where other uh, companies have been hacked and how they've dealt with it. Both, both of them, I've had two others, I think. They both seem to say, let's make it right. Let's repay this wallet. Let's fix it. And then let's prosecute and, and figure out how this happened and get this money back. And it's, uh, it's fascinating. I, I mean, I'm on the edge of my seat when yeah. I hear your story. It's like, obviously, I can't imagine how you've gotten anything done in the last five months when, you know, you've raised 9 million and the wallet w that was stolen was 8 million. And it's like, whew, God, that's got to be difficult to go through. 
Yeah, well, like, well, on the, on the way since we launched our token, uh, LTX token was listed on Coinbase as the like first exchange based token listed on Coinbase. It still is. Um, and, uh, so during that hype, the token reached new all time high. We, we had more than 300 million uh, market cap. Um, and, uh, so th I think with that market also, that being like yeah. funding coming in, we, for example, we pro provide a lot of liquidity on DAXs. This gives like cash flow yeah, yeah. in, in many ways. So, um, yeah, so the, the, the token itself also give us, gave us kind of additional opportunities while we're like not actively selling or anything like that, but the, the token itself, the value yeah. of it, we can create gr crazy things with it. And that's so exciting as an entrepreneur, like coming back to the, to the beginning of our podcast. Uh, where I said like it's the most interesting time to start a company and like I would never do equity funding again. Always go in a token because you you have this community of ambassadors and fans who cheer you up. You who are there when when something bad happens. I mean, most of the people supported us during that. This hack it was incredible. So you were open. You've talked about this for a while now. This has been out and open. Since w when did you go public with this? Since uh, 24 hours. 24 hours ago. So roughly, uh, oh. exactly like as we record this now, 24 hours ago, there's an update on l6.com slash insights uh, about the, the hack. It includes the things I explained. And then there's another, uh, like the first announcement, which we did a couple of hours after the, the hack in January with like continuous yeah. updates. We had been super transparent yeah. on everything. In the meantime, like since January, a lot of things happened, which had like, which we couldn't talk about, uh, which had been like with the police right, right, and, right. and, and public prosecutors and, and so on and, and lawyers. And, but now as it had been published anyway, we changed the strategy and said, we, we now make it public. We talk about it. Um, we increase the pressure yeah. on the, on, on these bad guys, you, um, and, um, in the coin, when he moved it to the Coinbase Europe account, did was that a? Could you? Why wouldn't Coinbase have his identity there, or or they they do? Yeah. Okay. So so, so you effectively know there there is. Right. So if you are active on on Coinbase, you have to get a verified. So account. you know who this. So, so these details are not disclosed in the blog post, but you know who it is. There's investigation ongoing. Um, that's probably something I can talk next yeah, time, yeah. couple of months. But at least you have the identity of who this human being is. And therefore you can, you know, it's, there's, once you have an identity of a human being. Yeah, like we have some yeah. identity. Yeah, so. Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> but, but like, yeah, you could imagine it's <laughs> many spe yeah. speculation around it. So it's, yeah. the, 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 the person or the group is not yet fully identified. Even if we have like some some documents, mm -hmm. there. it's it's not that easy. Well, I appreciate you going a little extra to explain the story. Uh, given how hot it is off the press, it's uh, super interesting. So I'll make I'll make sure to plug this early on. Um, keep me updated. I would love to hear if like exciting news breaks on this. We should do another just impromptu show and put it out there because uh, this is a wild journey and you're you're blazing new territory on how companies should think about enforcing hackers, uh, you know, bringing, bringing cases to people. So I think what you're doing is extremely relevant for other crypto companies because you're not going to be the last team to get hacked, right? This is going to be forever a Achilles heel and a constant battle of it's cat and mouse. Topic, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, seriously, let me know. So, 
Absolutely. I mean, we have been engaging with policymakers from the beginning. We're uh, part of the World Economic Forum where I spoke with, like we did several workshops on central banks, digital currencies with central banks. This is the, the major topic. Like what if a central bank digital currency has a problem, a hack? I mean, the, the public will lose faith in the official currency of the country. This will be this disaster and all these things. So we addressed it right from Strad and we want to be a role model. And I'm excited, uh, Mike, to like to talk with you again yeah. um, in, in in a year or two or like longer. We are here for the long term, and the, the journey of LCX has just. Well, I hope it doesn't take that long for you to find this guy and bring him bring him to justice. I hope it's uh, a lot shorter than that. But either way, yeah, feel feel good about it. It's 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 like a it's like a train. It's like a hard workout. You know, it just makes you stronger for going through it. Or uh, you know, yeah, it's a marathon and yeah. not a sprint. Yeah. Well, keep me updated, man. That's an exciting story and overall, obviously, exciting project and vision. You're definitely living the entrepreneurial life. Uh, so thanks for sharing, Monty, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. You know, for centuries, the ultra wealthy have been putting their money where their mouths are by investing in fine wine. And now with Vint, you can do that too. At Vint, we offer SEC qualified investment opportunities of fine wine and spirits curated by our experts with portfolio managers. With Vint, you can invest and diversify into the most sought after assets that have a history of price appreciation. Learn more at VINT.co. For full investment disclosure information and more, visit VINT.co. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.